0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Counterspin, The David Pacman Show, Real Time with Bill Maher, The Young Turks, The David Feldman Show, The Rachel Maddow Show, and Comedian Lee Camp. And a note for our listeners, sensitive to overexcitement, this episode contains yet another ground-shaking announcement
1: about the show. Please take all proper precautions while listening mainstream pundits love to love so-called moderate Republicans. They seem to think it means they approve of moderation, but it plays out more as an approval of, well, Republicans. Frank Bruni's March 4th column in the New York Times contains the admission, quote, back in 1999 when I covered Congress, I had a kind of crush on Olympia Snow. Many of us in the Senate press gallery did, close quote. As Bruni tells it, it had something to do with the way Snow dared to disagree with her party, which is something pundits always say they want to see more of. But Snow's record on this count has been a bit exaggerated. As John Chait pointed out on New York Magazine's website, in reality, she often ended up arguing for minor tweaks to Republican policies. But Bruni's real point is that both sides are guilty of silencing their moderates. Quote, Rare is the Democrat of plausible national ambition who tangles in a tough, meaningful way with labor unions or environmentalists, groups that President Obama has been loath to cross." Really? It seems likely that more labor or environmental advocates would question what Obama has done for them. So who does Bruni mean? Bill Clinton, who declared Arkansas a right-to-work state and passed NAFTA? As for Republicans, Bruni says, quote, rare is the Republican of plausible national ambition who doesn't kowtow to religious conservatives, close quote. Well, there's a lot more evidence of that phenomenon, as indeed Republicans are more apt to do what the party's conservative base wants them to do, while Democrats generally don't, leaving us with a two-party system where both parties have shifted to the right. And yet, pundits like Bruni decry both parties for moving in opposite directions and wish that Democrats would put even more distance between themselves and their party's progressive base. Because, you see, they like to be balanced.
2: Alan West, congressman from Florida, Republican of course, says that he believes about 80 House Democrats are communist party members. This is Alan West at a some kind of a town hall meeting. I don't even know exactly where he was, but for whatever, I don't even know why he's even speaking anywhere, but I guess he he does talk and sometimes people ask questions. The audio is not great, but let's take a listen to this and also a, a look at his his thought on this because it is fascinating, Lewis. It really is. <laughs>
3: Corporate
4: uh, I believe There's about seventy eight to eighty one members of the Democratic Party that are members of the
2: Communist Party. <laughs> so he says that he, he believes there are between seventy-eight and eighty one members of the uh, of, of of the of the House Democrats that are communists, that are so called card carrying Marxists, is the question asked. Is he high? Is he low, Lewis? High, like uh Oh oh, you mm-hmm. mean is the number high? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, Seems a little high. I think he's up there by, he's over by somewhere between 78 and 81. (laughs) I would have to agree, yeah. A spokesperson was asked to clarify this because it is so absurd, and the spokesperson said that what the congressman was referring to was the Congressional Progressive Caucus, and he said, uh, or rather she, the, the spokesperson said that the Communist Party has publicly referred to the Progressive Caucus as its allies. So let's, let's examine that, why don't we? If communists believe some progressives are their allies, that automatically makes progressives communists, right? Well, that means that if some fascists consider conservatives to be their allies, that makes all conservatives fascists as well. Well, neo-Nazi fascists do consider themselves more aligned with the Republican Party than with the Democratic Party. By that same logic, by that same standard, all Republicans are neo-Nazis.
5: Right. And if you're an ally of Israel, that makes you Israeli. Exactly.
2: It's it's basically the same same logic. And if Alan West is a Republican... Good good
5: news for for gay men everywhere, Dave, you're gay. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) If Alan West is a Republican, that automatically makes all Republicans Alan West. Got it. That (laughs) that makes perfect sense. I like that. Fascinating. Alan West says something ridiculous. In other news, water is wet, and the sun did come up this morning. (laughs) All right. It's amazing Sarah Palin thinks this is the guy who should be Mitt Romney's running mate. Uh, well, le- I mean,
5: let's be honest. He probably didn't know he was being recorded.
2: Oh, that makes it all that that that's the excuse. Imagine right. if that excuse was worth anything. Yeah, it it would be used to quite a lot in politics. It's amazing by the way, Romney's not so stupid that he would have Alan Westby as running mate. No, not going to happen. How can a dishonorably discharged mi- military veteran like Alan West, whose entire life was paid for by taxpayer dollars, lecture anybody on not relying on taxpayer dollars and about morality? <laughs> I mean it makes no sense. It's a, it's incredible. It's brilliant work. Weep
4: little lion man, you're not
6: as brave as you were at the start. Rake yourself and rake yourself, take all the courage you have left you wasted on fixing all the problems that you made in your own head But it was, it was not me. your fault
4: but mine And it was your heart on the line
7: I really fucked it up this time Didn't I, my dear? Didn't I, my dear?
8: Uh, Alexandra Pelosi, who is our videographer, she's great. She's done, I think, eight uh, different uh, programs for HBO over the years. Um, we sent her out to talk to real Americans in the South. Now, I'm going to show you this video. I want you to understand something, because she wrote me a long letter explaining this. She did not cherry-pick these people. <laughs> she got off the plane. This is in Mississippi. It is the poorest state in our union. We are not making fun of anybody. She did not seek out people who look like what some people would say rednecks. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said, if you took any of the footage we didn't use, it would look just like the footage we did use. (laughs) And and by the way, all these people said they knew they were going to be on this show, and they think I'm going to hell. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to show you the video, and just know that we're going to send Alexander Pelosi in the future to the inner city to get the views of people who are not probably the Mm -hmm. same political stripe. But here we are in Mississippi with Alexander Pelosi's video.
9: Hey Bill, I'm here in Mississippi, the poorest state in America, which is also the most conservative state in our union. So why is Mississippi so conservative?
10: Well, you're in the heart of the Bible Belt. We believe in family. We believe in Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Whoever gets uh, elected needs to be family
4: orientated. God should come into his mind. And everything that, that he does. You never like the president, did you? Never. And never will. Why not? One thing his name's Obama. This is America. Our president should be American, not Muslim. I don't even like it when I see him on TV. I turn it off. I don't like it. Is it
9: because he's black?
4: No, it's not because he's black, or he's a half-breed. He's black too, but he's a half-breed. I guess I'm a little prejudiced.
9: Are you?
4: You don't I'm like good.
9: black people? Not much. Why not? I don't. What is this? Where are we? We're in the state of
11: Mississippi. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care for the government. They They don't show me anything.
9: You get food stamps.
11: Yeah, but I I, I think I deserve food
8: stamps. I have no
11: unemployment.
0: Uh, I hate Obamacare. I think it's retarded and pointless.
12: But a lot of people in Mississippi need health care.
10: Yeah. Back when I was growing up and when my parents were growing up and my grandparents were growing up, we didn't have all that and people still made it. And back then, people pulled their own weight, they didn't sit around waiting for everyone else to take care of.
9: So you don't care about the economy?
3: No. Just take care of yourself. You put God back in the saddle, it'll all be okay.
9: So, something's not working here. That's voting right. Republican hasn't worked for you.
3: But it,
0: it could. But
9: it hasn't.
12: It hasn't, but it could.
9: Why is the state, the
12: most conservative state.
10: We would rather go broke and die hungry
13: than to give up our, our moral beliefs. I feel like that voting God and voting faith is more important to me than voting for free money or voting for a handout.
10: I'm going to stand up for what I believe in, even if I go broke doing it. We're not going to be pushed over. We lost the war. That's true. But we're not going to be pushed around. We're not going to back down from what we believe. And like the tag on the front of my truck says, the South will rise again.
8: Okay, well, Well, um... Now, some of these guys have to lie to get laid. I'm just saying this. And by the way, she said she cut out 20 people who also did not have teeth. Just so you know that it wasn't like, oh, we're going to show the guy with no teeth. She, she had to cut out a lot of people who also didn't have teeth, so it didn't look like yeah, the all... most teeth. Yeah. <laughs> of, the footage, <laughs> of the footage we had to get the most teeth. Not that we're counting, but you know, the the, the, the caucus this Saturday, tomorrow, is in mm-hmm. Kansas, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Kansas, that's the famous book, what, what's the matter with Kansas? Mm-hmm. And this is the question I think that she's asking in this. Uh, now there is something noble about when these guys say things like "I would rather starve than take free money," and yet the other guy said, "You know, of course I'm entitled to." Isn't there a point to the Kansas thesis? They vote against their economic interests. They can't see past their prejudices, and it hurts them
14: economically. Well, it's also, I think, I think it's it's also a little bit about what the, what the guy said of like it hasn't worked yet but right. it might yes things are right around the corner you can tell from the guy's house that he's one step away <laughs> from <laughs> from hitting it big and yeah, if it's, only yeah. you know, a couple things would have broke his way <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the, that's been that's, like the, yeah. mo- the modern right wing approach has been like yes. it's, it's the party of like you're going to win the lottery That's, that's and a mi- miracle is going to happen
8: that's what mitch daniels said after the state of the union dress we don't see ourselves as the party of haves and have nots we we see ourselves as the party of haves mm-hmm. and soon two yeah, haves
15: soon to have. I think the general, the general argument, and it's true I think across the country for a lot of folks, is that everyone aspires to some level of prosperity. No one wakes up in the morning and says, all I want to be today is poor. Everyone is working towards their goals. And in that process, there are philosophical, ideological, religious views that are hard set. I mean, you, you talk about in the 21st century, the South will rise again, but well, what the hell does that mean exactly, you know? How are you defining that? Uh, I think the South would, would, would argue as as a whole, particularly in places like Atlanta and, and elsewhere, that they're looking for a different kind of prosperity where everyone benefits from it and is not segregated op- upon class or race. Uh, but there is a reflection here of an America that still exists, that is that this does live in fear, that does live uh, in concern that freedoms are being taken away, and the leadership has to somehow figure out, particularly in the cycle how to address that and move the country past that and forward. And if they don't... Well, uh, it so seems like the Democrats need to like figure him. out some way to speak to people,
8: too. Because the problem here is both there's a lot of prejudice, but there's not a lot of alternatives that are being offered by the Democratic Party. Well, but here, it here. does look like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. And until we change that, I think... There's a lot of truth to what some of the people. But here's what
9: say. The Democrats don't don't pick up on the notion, and you know I went back to Adam Smith to talk about capitalism. Adam Smith, the founder of capitalism, said the one thing you have to watch out for is concentrated wealth and power, because if you allow that a corporatist system, you are destroying economic right. liberty. Right. He he wrote about Ooh. workers' mm. rights. He said, we've got to have workers' rights. We've got to have a social, in in those days, 1776, a social safety net. And time again in this country, the Great Depression being the biggest, capitalism was saved, according to The Economist, by FDR, because the times when the disparity is great, you've got to expand the safety net. So that the capitalist system is stable enough to operate. When we all, And the, yeah. thing,
15: the, thing, the, the critical thing, I yeah. think, about the safety net is that it should be, and I believe New Gingrich has said this from time to time as well, that it's not something that when you fall into it, 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 it holds you, no. but you bounce out of it and you're able to move on and, and get to a better a place. A trampoline. A trampoline. But and and, recognizing, and that's, that's not a hammock. It's not, not a
8: hammock.
9: <laughs> yeah.
15: Not a hammock. We can't have a hammock. We can't have a hammock. And we
8: can't, can't have a have, net. That's right. We've got to have trampoline. Have <laughs> up. But, but you can't but
9: bounce value. when there's a one percent and a ninety percent. And you can't do that. And, 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 and how are these
14: people going to yeah. bounce? You know? <laughs> they're not. But they're, then they believe that they believe whether it's in, the, in this sort of faceless um, vision at the top, that is whether it's whether it's Jesus or or a corporation or the corporate entity that, that this unidentifiable thing that they can that they can not quite yeah. reach. Yeah. But it's but it's somehow it's inspiring. Um, and and it just doesn't make sense. I mean you look at this and you say like this this you've you've made some poor decisions. Now let's let's try to let's try to fix the system that, that sort of forced you into those decisions and work it from that way. If I wounded you, I'm sorry. It happens all the time.
0: Five dollars a month or even fifty five dollars a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com.
7: New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman is doing what he does best, traveling the world. In his March twenty eighth column, he finds that other countries' political systems, specifically Australia and New Zealand, are well to the left of ours. Quote In New Zealand and Australia, you could almost fit their entire political spectrum from conservatives to liberals and inside the U.S. Democratic Party, and somehow both countries manage to confront big issues head-on. A carbon tax and cap-and-trade, they have single-payer health care, income support for the poor, and so on. Close quote. So what lesson does Friedman take from this? It's the same as always, according to Friedman. We need more centrism. Friedman argues that because we lack a credible third party that could capture enough of the center to force both Democrats and Republicans to compete for votes there, quote, we've lost our ability to do big, hard things together. Yet everything we have to do, tax reform, fiscal reform, health care reform, energy policy, is big and hard and can only be done together, close quote. Huh? That doesn't follow at all. If Australia and New Zealand are Friedman's models, and their entire political spectrum could fit inside the Democratic Party spectrum here, then to achieve his model, shouldn't he be arguing for the disappearance of the Republican Party? Just a question.
16: Joe Biden's on Face the Nation, and uh, he's going to talk about the Republican Party. I think he makes a very good point here. Let's watch.
10: This is not your father's Republican Party. This is a different party than I'm used to, and I've been around for a while, uh, both in the House and the Senate, it's a different party. And my guess is the electorate is, uh, the Republican electorate, is different than it's been the last uh, 10, 12 years. Uh, And so, uh, you know, that's the change that I'm most fascinated with watching, is how much has it changed, how far right
16: has it gone, or how anti-government has it become? So I love this for two reasons. One, it's overwhelmingly true. And number two, I'm glad that someone's finally saying. It. Now, we've been discussing on this program for, you know, years now about how much the uh, Republican Party has moved to the right. For example, Ronald Reagan uh traded arms for hostages, so negotiated with terrorists. Uh, uh he withdrew the Marines from Lebanon once they got a, a attacked, cut and run. And he did amnesty, blanket amnesty for illegal immigrants. He raised taxes 11 times. It goes on and on, right? So, this is the guy they claim is so right wing, which today couldn't possibly win in a Republican primary. There's some chance that he would be considered too liberal in a Democratic primary. Not on all of his positions, but on a significant number of positions, right? So, it's, a, it's an absolute fact. And finally, someone's saying it. It's fantastic. They should have been saying it all along. But it's, you know, it's my constant frustration with the Democratic Party. Like, it's a moment of amazement when they actually make their own case. You're like, wow, that's right. Hey, way to go! Pointing out that the other party is radical and has changed to become more radical. That this isn't the same old Republican Party. So you shouldn't continue to treat it that way, as if they're honest actors trying to make a real deal. Now Biden's going to talk about that in the second half and this is where it gets 50-50. Let's watch.
10: I do think the idea of compromise is still alive and well with the Democrats in the Congress. They're prepared to compromise. They're prepared to make difficult decisions. But with a, enough of a minority in the Republican party controlling the majority, there is no no room for compromise. I mean none. None and uh... it's never been like that before
16: now again i love that he's pointing out the obvious facts they have offered every compromise in the book and the republicans have rejected every single one of them So, as my mom would say thanks god they're finally making their case right fantastic and and he's right to point out that there's no compromise the part that's fifty fifty for me is He's still begging them. Can you tell? It's it's between the lines. It's, Democrats are still willing to compromise. Republicans, if you're out there and you want to take a really sweet deal where we still cut taxes on the rich and and then decimate the middle class on Social Security and Medicare, we're still willing to compromise. We can still get a gentleman's agreement. And I, you know that's the part that I can't stand. If they're going to be unreasonable, going halfway towards unreasonable is not the correct position. Fighting 100% against that unreasonable position, especially as we have an election coming up, is the correct way to go. The fact that Joe Biden's at least gone halfway there is refreshing news and certainly a surprise when it comes to Democrats.
0: but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be.
17: The vault, or a, like a vault. Mm-hmm. the vault, the vault is an electric car. It's been named the European Car of the Year. Have you talked about this on your excellent show? Have not. Okay. The Volt has been named the European Car of the Year. It's having one of its best sales months ever.
3: Ooh, the European Car uh-huh. of the mm. Year. The National Highway
17: Traffic Safety Administration gives us its highest crash safety testing rating. A year ago, they tested it, and they overtested it, and the mm-hmm. battery, one battery, blew up and caused a fire. Mm-hmm. And Rush Limbaugh, Neil Cavuto from Fox News, Bill O'Reilly, and Sean Hannity have been trashing the vault and saying it doesn't work. It's an example of Obama destroying Detroit. And this is a car that gets 198 miles to the gallon. It works. It's an American car. It's an American car. It's made by Chevrolet.
11: And the right wing is trying to destroy it. So you're surprised that they're revealed again for actually being anti-American? Not actually standing up for not only the America's values, but not now not even American workers? Of course not. They're all for shipping jobs overseas. They're all for everything that's bad for this country. And that's why... I'm just surprised that people, you know, still think that uh, the, there's an equivalency on on either side of these issues.
12: But how could they convince their listeners? How can they convince their listeners that an American-made car is crap? How are they able to convince them? Because of this? it's
3: an electric car. And therefore it's evil, it's liberal, and it wants to take away your freedom because it's electric. Right, Mm -hmm. and they're fear-based,
11: so they're in touch with their reptilian brain, which is afraid Mm -hmm. of anything new. It's suspicious. Mm -hmm. So this is something new. They tell Mm -hmm. me it's bad. They say I should hate it. It's got something to do with
3: Obama, who probably is a
11: Muslim, doesn't have a birth certificate. It's all that crazy stuff in their
3: head. It goes all the way back to them. uh, They originally objected to electricity, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, it doesn't go back to
17: Obama, because it was President Bush who put in all the tax credits to encourage a, an electronic mm-hmm. car to be developed, mm-hmm. and yet we have these Republicans who are out to destroy the Volt, and sales are
11: down in America. Yes. Can I just say, David, that I saw a thing today on Facebook. Someone posted about an old Republican and the new Republican, and the old Republican was a picture of Eisenhower. And Eisenhower was saying that no politician or any politician who tries to do away with Social Security or Medicare and tries to come down on the working man's unions will find, you know... So, sure, there's a fraction of those people. They're always rich oil men in Texas. They're always... And then they show the new Republican. It's Ron Paul. I'm against Medicare. I'm against Social Security. I'm against all unions. I'm Mm -hmm. against... All that stuff. It's like, no, that's... So this this whole thing of, like... um, it's equal again. Again, it bothers me. It's like, no, these aren't principled Republicans. These, this isn't Eisenhower. This, this isn't, um, who's the Arizona, Goldwater. These aren't those guys. These guys uh, that we're dealing with are total, 100% bought and paid for. That's why they're, they're, they're coming down on the vote, because it's on an oil car. doesn't I, use gasoline. I, I was just going to bring that
17: up, that the Republican Party is a subsidiary of Exxon.
3: It seems
11: to be, mm-hmm.
17: and so
3: the they've got- been talking out very strongly against stopping the, uh, oil, subsidies. the oil subsidies. Oil mm-hmm. subsidies, yeah. Uh, uh, Rand Paul, I heard him, he was like, I would think you'd want to encourage them if a company is profitable. (laughs) He actually said, he said, wouldn't you try to encourage them to be more profitable? Well, the idea is, and
11: it's replicated in the Paul Ryan budget, the idea is that in order to make rich people want to work, you have to give them more things. Mm -hmm. But in order to make poor people work, you have to take stuff away. Right. (laughs) That's 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 literally the thing. We have to take care of the world. Why don't they work harder if they want these things? Oh, we have to give rich people more things or else they won't work anymore. It's the, it's the craziest thing. So President Obama, to his credit, has come out against the tax subsidies
17: mm-hmm. for Exxon, which he said in a speech last week, he said Exxon makes a million dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. That you know, in a week or two, that's some serious money. Yeah, it's better than babysitting.
11: (laughs) We could probably we probably fix the microphones in here.
17: So would you? uh, Because that was there was an article by Joe Nacero in the New York Times, pretty great writer on the op-ed page, and he talks about the right destroying the vault. He doesn't explain why they're destroying the vault. I do think it's Exxon. Mm -hmm. I do think the oil companies own the Republican Party. They're against any science that proves climate change is real, why
12: wouldn't they be against the vote? Well, it's, per- it's a perfect metaphor just to destroy progress. And what's this who's this progress going to uh, what will that progress afford a middle class person? You know how much will be accessible to us. And it it seems like anything that we could possibly hope for in the near future is dashed. Mm-hmm. How are we going to have access to anything? Certainly not any kind of uh, car or vehicle that's going to save us money. You know, right. it's it's
11: it's the perfect... It, it's when all these things come together for them to hate, David. It's uh, So it's oh. it's Detroit, which Barack Obama bailed out. So they'd like to see Detroit fail. Mm-hmm. And Detroit isn't failing, so it makes them look bad. They have egg on their face over that, because they were all against the bailout. And now Chevy has the car of the air in Europe. They have to try to make it look like a failure. So it's that. It goes against Obama. It t- and so they can find a way to tap it into the reptilian fear of the moron who votes against his own interest. So it's got all these, plus the oil companies will be happy that they're trying to get rid of this electric car. So it's got all those things going for it.
12: And I right. saw the movie. I was what just... happened to the electric car? What, what about Roger Rabbit? A... What about
11: Roger
17: Rabbit? <laughs> 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 we had trolley cars that went to the ocean. Oh, yeah. And the oil companies said, no, we want people
11: driving. Yes. That was a combination of the oil companies and the tire companies wanting to, because they wanted to put tires on every bus. And you don't, you know, if trolleys don't mm. use bus, they don't use tires. So that was an, yeah. Mm-hmm. Big money has is, is ruined the mass transit it's, in L.A. It's
17: destroyed Marin County. You, if you live in Marin, you can't get into San Francisco because the Golden Gate Bridge didn't build a train underneath. They were going to build a little train underneath mm-hmm. the Golden Gate Bridge so the working class could find its way in and out of the city. Here's what I find so interesting about Republicans. And by the way, this does work better. This is why I try not to get angry. We had a little technical problem, and things mm-hmm. happened for a reason, as they used to say in Darfur. <laughs> <laughs> Just go with it. Mm-hmm. GM will not take on the Republicans. They, they're, even though they have a great product, the Volt, which I would buy if I could afford it. It's forty thousand dollars before the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit, which Bush gave us mm-hmm. on that, not Obama. It's not Obama's car. Uh, Chris Perry, the marketing executive from GM, says, well, we don't want to draw attention to the lies that the Republicans are spreading about us because that will only increase Volt's status as a political punching bag. So they're just going to take the punches uh, yes. of the Republican Party, yes. not not even speak up for their own product Mm.
12: why is that
17: because they don't want to be a punching bag they're hoping that people are going to forget they're hoping that the product is so good it speaks for itself you can't compete with that right wing attack machine
12: well you but also that isn't going to be their purchasing public anyways the republican isn't going to go and buy that electric car right that's not going to be their demographic so they're going to have to figure out what their demographic is but how much is it to start with forty thousand
17: it's 40000 and then you get a $7,500 tax credit, oh, and ooh, you're getting so
11: 198 miles per was, gallon. Per gallon, so you yeah, it's gas-free, so you're saving a lot of money. I don't know what it costs to charge. I mean, think about how, how much one, how much, well, you got to plug it into your house, so that racks up your electricity
17: You have to, bill. You have yeah.
12: to also set up a system to make it easier <laughs> to, Oh, to some,
11: do. Now, that's with that other car, but, um... Here's the
17: other thing that amazes me. Really, the, the... The bullheadedness of the right wing. Bob Lutz is the auto executive who has helped design the vault. And he writes a column for Forbes. And he calls the right wing attacks on his vault, which he has shepherded. He calls them rabid, sadly misinformed. And he cannot believe that Republicans would be attacking his baby. And yet... He's still a Republican. He cannot bring himself to
3: turn his back on the Republican Party. Well, he, you know, if he's a moderate Republican, you know, maybe he can vote for John Lindsay next year. Or, <laughs> or Jacob Javits. Or, uh, you know. Rockefeller. Yeah. Because that uh, it doesn't seem like there is any such thing. The moderate Republican Party is now the Democratic Party. Yes, you know? right. Barack Obama is
11: a moderate Republican.
3: All Republican Party is extreme right wing, ignorance based, and the idea of of reasonable people like like Dwight D Eisenhower uh, um, having policies that go go away from their um, from what they believe that just doesn't exist anymore. No, there's no one. Cha- and, no and, one
11: challenges the status quo and inside And the problem the with that Party. too
3: is that since, since the Republican Party is also extremely right wing, when they're on. New shows—they're presented as as reasonable, yes—because they're in the mainstream of right. the Republican Party. So Paul right. Paul Ryan, yes. and that Chuck, radical budget, Chuck Grassley, and uh, and all these people, um, and Newt Gingrich. You know, when Newt Gingrich is going to drop out of the race, he'll be on the Sunday shows the next week. He'll be a regular commentator. Yes. They're not going to—they're—they're they're not going to take anything he said during the campaign against him because he is considered like one of the stars of of, of the mainstream of the Republican Party.
2: Have you heard about the Ted Nugent remarks? I have. Ted Nugent is now under investigation by the Secret Service because he said he would be dead or in jail by this time next year if President Obama is reelected. He showed up at the NRA convention. I really find Ted Nugent, and this video is courtesy of rightwingwatch.org, I've f- I found Ted Nugent to be one of the most despicable characters in this kind of pseudo-political fringe of of uh guys who like guns and publicly support wars and republicans. He has been one of the most despicable players to me for many many years and now he's finally getting the attention he probably warranted for a long time because the guy doesn't seem stable. Yeah, this
5: isn't the first time we've talked about him. He's always saying uh, ridiculous things on stage. We'll get uh, to that. Right.
2: Here's um, what he said most recently. Let's yeah. start there.
4: Our uh, president, Attorney General, our Vice President Hillary Clinton, they're criminals. They're criminals. A guy on the radio the other day said, well, name the crimes. <laughs> About ten minutes later, I said, have you had enough?
18: Look at the crowd Who doesn't
4: know the crimes our government is committing? So uh, God bless you for being here. I feel a positive energy, but turn up the heat. Take this energy and this belief in freedom home with you and get everybody you know to get involved and engaged because it isn't the enemy... ...that ruined America. No. It's good people who bent over and let the enemy in. If the coyote's in your living room pissing on your couch, it's not the coyote's fault. It's your fault for not shooting him. So, it's an important time. So you're talking about exhibits, you're talking about hardware and ammo and everybody's fondling sporting goods... ...and everybody's got a big old sexy grin on their face because they're surrounded by ballistic celebration... That's cool, but what I feel in this room is I feel this. It's I feel this. I'm not taking this crap anymore. I've about had it. Leave my damn paycheck alone. <laughs> Unless you can be accountable, you get nothing. And if you take that adamant we the people defiance. Remember, we we're Americans because we defied the king. We didn't negotiate and compromise with the king. We defied the emperors. We are patriots. We are braveheart. The emperors. We need to ride into that battlefield and chop their heads off.
2: All the- right, so chop their heads off. Yeah, wh- what's he talking about? America's, we're emperors now? Does this guy have any understanding? No, You're no, talking the about the emper- British. I'm sorry, we defy the, what emperors did we defy? We didn't. Oh, okay. Well, there clears that up. Okay, here's another one of uh, uh, of um, uh, Ted Nugent keeping it going. He's, of course, going to be voting for Mitt Romney Lewis. No surprise there. He keeps it going, and the, the Secret Service is now paying attention Can't to Ted. Can't
4: get... A couple of hundred people each. Each of you. Some of you. Let's skip you,
2: forward, actually.
4: Who don't believe in the Constitution? Does everybody know here that four of the Supreme Court justices not only determined you don't have the right to keep and bear arms? Four Supreme Court justices signed their name to a declaration that Americans have no fundamental right to self-defense. <laughs> that sounds like a stoned hippie. That doesn't sound like a Supreme Court anything. It sounds like a supremely intellectually vacuous punk.
6: Okay.
2: Thanks, Ted. So, bottom line, Ted Nugent here alluding to who knows what, saying that he's going to be dead or in jail by this time next year if President Obama is reelected. This is a guy who likes to fight for his freedoms and um, as long as he doesn't actually have to fight, right? Because, let's be honest, he supports wars as long as he doesn't have to go, Vietnam, he peed his pants for a week, literally. I'm not saying figuratively. He actually admits. And in in 2006, Ted Nugent admitted to an interviewer for the British newspaper The Independent about a 1977 interview in High Times magazine, where Nugent detailed the steps he took to avoid the Vietnam draft. This is a guy who supports wars. He believes in wars, he likes fighting wars, he wants guns, he wants killing people, chop their heads off, all that stuff, Lewis. You know what I'm saying.
5: Yeah, he wants guns as long as he's
2: not in, in their sights. As long as he's not in their sights, exactly. And he said that he started eating fast food and Pepsi and not brushing his teeth in advance of his interview for the draft to go to the Vietnam War. And then he started using his clothes like a bathroom in order to show up there and not have to go to the Vietnam war. Now let's be honest. Not wanting to go to Vietnam was perfectly reasonable. The problem is that this guy's completely hypocritical because he supports wars, he just doesn't want to fight them himself. It's the epitome of the uh of the what? False of, the, of the chicken hawk? I mean, how would you define this, Nathan? Well, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. You just said it. I mean, this is a guy who is a total hypocrite. He supports wars, he wants other people to fight in wars. He did everything possible not to fight in a war himself. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. There's nothing to be said about it. Now, if you think that Mitt Romney finds Ted Nugent to be disgusting, no. Mitt Romney actually says it's been great getting to know Ted Nugent, and Mitt Romney, in some weird way, kind of sought out Ted Nugent's endorsement in in, in some sick way. Listen to this. Station with you, and if Ted says
13: you're okay, he endorsed you. I- I'm pretty tempted to do the same thing.
4: Well, that's uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's been fun getting to know. Uh, Him and Ted Nugent. Our uh, president, the Attorney General, our Vice President, Hillary Clinton. They're criminals.
2: (laughs) Okay, so that's the guy. And then here is just if you forgot about this clip, this is Ted Nugent. And let's just bear in mind there may be some swearing here, which we may have to, to, you know, take care of before we send this out to our broadcast stations. Here's Ted Nugent talking about Obama at a concert. Why anyone would go to a Ted Nugent concert? I can't imagine for the life of me, Louis. Hey, I
1: suck on this one to have, you putz. I was in Chicago
4: last week. I was in Chicago. I said, hey, Obama, you might want to suck at one you punk.
2: Right, holding up his guns. That's pretty reasonable talk, right, about the president. I mean, imagine if a liberal musician were to say something like that, to hold up a gun on stage and suggest George W. Bush suck on it. That, people would think that that was reasonable, right? Not me. Or would there be a media-complete-frenzied breakdown over these comments, and we would be saying, look at what the liberals are doing. Look at what, by definition, because, listen, no one's really coming out and, and distancing themselves from Ted Nugent. Mitt Romney hasn't, as of yet. Very strange stuff. No, now, it's, it's a great endorsement for him.
4: We're thinking of having a Chicago tea party in July. All you capitalists that want to show up to Lake Michigan, I'm going to start organizing.
9: What are you dumping in, what are you dumping in this time? I
4: think
9: are going to be dumping
4: in some derivative securities.
6: That was Rick Santelli on CNBC giving the tea party its name, if not its launch. A few weeks after Mr. Santelli ranted indignantly about the Obama administration's meager, tentative proposal to help a relatively small number of homeowners caught in the jaws of the financial crisis, the losers, as Santelli referred to them, a few weeks after he delivered that rant, this new thing called the Tea Party suddenly owned Tax Day. Remember that? Re- Tax Day 2009, when the Tea Party exploded right out of nowhere with the tea bags and don't tread on me flags and the lawn chairs. And remember Glenn Beck, back when he was still on the TV and not just the internet machine? Remember how he got up on stage and told the Tea parties that the Partiers that their moment had come? After Obama's election, the Tea Partiers rallied effectively and vociferously against health reform. Specifically, President Obama's proposed law providing coverage for millions of new people while also requiring everyone to buy health insurance. Here's the Tea Party response to those ideas in 2010. They're challenging lawmakers outside the U.S. Capitol just before the final vote on the bill. No surprise, this kind of scene does not make me personally want to run out and buy a Tri Corner hat. But the Tea Party was maybe onto something. Whether the Tea Party itself motivated voters may be debatable as a proposition, but with their outsized outsider's rage, Tea Partiers at least represented a real sentiment in the American body politic, a sense of dispossession, distrust of institutions, and a rabid, panicked fear of American decline. And you saw the tangible results of that in the 2010 elections, especially in the House, where Republicans won control with dozens of new seats, many of them filled by freshman lawmakers who identified as Tea Party Republicans. After the 2010 elections, Republicans also controlled most state legislatures, and they held the majority of governorships. Tea Party backed Republicans in Florida and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and South Carolina and on and on and on. The Tea Party was powerful. The Tea Party was unstoppable. And just a little while later, on tax day eve, people are wondering what the heck happened to them. AP asking, quote, three years later, what's become of the Tea Party? I love this scene from a Tea Party meeting in San Antonio. The group leader asks the assembly members, are we dead? Answer, we're persistent, and we communicate with each other, and when it comes time to vote, we'll definitely pull the ballot lever. Maybe what happened to the Tea Party is that they voted, and they won. If you want to find the Tea Party now, you can just call a legislator, like the otherwise not very important Jeff Landry, freshman Republican of Louisiana, who would like Mitt Romney, the party's standard bearer, to know just who is in charge. Quoting Mr. Landry, we're not a cheerleading squad. We're the conductor. We're supposed to drive the train. Or maybe what the Tea Party needs now is an inside outsider, a leader who can ring bells in Washington without holding office there. Maybe what the Tea Party needs is an inside out outsider like Herman Cain. I can't even say that name without chuckling a little. The guy who delivered a Tea Party response to this year's State of the Union speech. And who held a big rally today on Capitol Hill. A big rally, a revolution on the Hill, they called it. Ladies and gentlemen, your revolution. Dave Weigel of Slate Today posted this picture of Herman Cain's revolution on the Hill. Dave reports that organizers had 6 buses to get people there and you got a boxed lunch to boot. He says it looked to him like a couple of 100 a couple of 100 people showed up. Tea Party of America members had hundreds of leftover promotional flyers, he writes. One volunteer told him quote, I was told to expect thousands of people. Well, we were told to expect a revolution. Have we gotten it?
14: Citinella is on my block. She rides the bus Citronella gets off on the second bus stop. She's the prettiest girl in the
4: eighth grade. Citronella, I love you. I just want you to know.
8: Citronella, I need you so bad, badly, badly. You're the only girl for me in the eighth grade. the right and the left don't have to agree on everything, but Republicans have to give up on pink slime. You know pink slime, the stuff from the slaughterhouse that's even too nasty to go into a hot dog. The, quote, rejected fat sinew, bloody effluvia, and occasional bits of meat that's then treated with ammonia because it's otherwise full of bacteria, <laughs> or as it's more commonly known, Donald Trump. <laughs> yes, pink slide, because you can't spell ammonia without mmm. <laughs> now, I bring up pink slime because it's typical of a strange pathology that we see on the right. When most Americans found out there was pink slime in their hamburgers, they were repulsed. And Republicans should have been too. But once they found out that liberals were against pink slime, then by God, they had to save it. Which may be why this month, three Republican governors went to a pink slime factory and ate it on purpose. Take that, book learning. See the governor smiling on the left? That's literally a shit-eating grin. Now, you might say, but Bill, I'm sure those governors had a perfectly good reason to eat pink slime. Maybe they lost a bet with Mitt Romney. Or Rick Perry's not quite as smart as a starfish. But... I think the answer is worse than that. I think the Republican Party is at war with common sense. I think if the Democrats came out against eating yellow snow, Rick Perry would eat yellow snow. I do. I do. I think Republicans live in a world now where whatever a liberal says, no matter how sensible, is automatically evil, wrong, and needs to be fought with the fervor of a starving raccoon on crystal meth. If Michelle Bachman, if Michelle Bachman, if Michelle Obama (laughs) says it's good to eat vegetables and take a walk, then I'm going to sit in my garage with the car running and eat bacon grease out of a coffee can. When the Pennsylvania Board of Education last year tried to serve less candy to students in a good faith effort to stop our children from becoming completely spherical... (laughs) Sarah Palin literally rushed to Pennsylvania with a plate of sugar cookies Here you go, fat kids Have a big old face full of freedom (laughs) Oh yes Sarah Palin, the Rosa Parks of dessert I mean (laughs) Why why? Because not having diabetes is a liberal plot? If you can see your shoes, then you hate America? What is it with the pushing back on the formerly unpushbackable? Newt Gingrich attacking child labor laws. Ron Paul saying it's socialist for the government to help people after tornadoes. Arguing about paying our bills. And college. Santorum called Obama a snob for wanting kids to go to college. And Romney said he spent too much time at Harvard. Right, because what America needs is a president who dropped out of massage school. (laughs) (laughs) And as it is Earth Day Sunday, let me add this to the list. The environment, another area that didn't used to be partisan. When Richard Nixon... Yeah created the EPA. Both parties agreed that rivers shouldn't catch on fire and the air shouldn't make pigeons cough. But then Al Gore embraced it and now, when the EPA wants to reduce the level of arsenic in the drinking water, you half expect to see Mitch McConnell making appearances with Archie the Arsenic Molecule. You don't have to make everything political. That's like making all your decisions based on what Jesus would do. Paper or plastic, sometimes Jesus just doesn't give a shit.
13: I can't stand decisions. I think it's so rude that you ask me if I want
11: plastic or paper.
4: Just
1: a
7: bag.
4: Oh, plastic sounds okay, just put it in the bag and let me go home. Oh, well, maybe paper's better. I don't know how to make a decision
17: about
13: this. Well then the clerk he says to me, he says. <laughs> <laughs>
16: Mr. Consumer, please pause to reflect. The choice that you make can have a
15: global effect on lumberjacks and turtles, politicians and fish. Would you like a paper bag? Is that your
2: wish? If we need I'm any more sign of, of desperation, desperation of the from the Romney campaign, the Romney campaign is now coming out because they've—they're really having dog problems. Mitt Romney has a dog problem, of course. Putting his Irish setter on the roof of his station wagon years ago. And uh, driving across the country while the dog defecated in fear, c- colloquially known as Romneying. Now, Lewis. you know that story. Well aware. It came up recently again because Ann Romney again stated the dog loved it. The dog loved it. So, what is the Romney campaign doing? This is this is really incredible. Now, the Daily Caller is noted noting that in President Obama's best-selling memoir, Dreams from My Father, President Obama recalls. Being fed dog meat as a young boy in Indonesia with his stepfather, Lolo Sotoro. He says, With Lolo, I learned how to eat small green chili peppers raw with dinner, plenty of rice. And away from the dinner table, I was introduced to dog meat, tough, snake meat, tougher, and roasted grasshopper, crunchy. So this is from after Obama's mother married Sotoro. Obama lived in Indonesia from about 67 to 71, roughly he was 6 to 10. So what we're seeing, ladies and gentlemen, is the Romney side of things. After this revelation, a Romney staffer tweeted something about that picture of Obama with a dog is chilling in light of this news about eating dog. There's a comparison between being an adult and making the decision to strap your dog to the roof of your car, to being seven years old in Indonesia and being fed a piece of dog which in that culture, I mean, first of all, Obama's not deciding to say, you know what? I've evaluated what animals are okay to eat and which aren't, and I'm going to go seek out eating dog. It's it's such a bogus comparison. It's a sign of desperation, isn't it?
5: That's all it is. Yeah, they have to somehow make some type of comparison. I mean, there's no attempt to to say what Romney did was okay. They're just trying to make it look like Obama's guilty of something. Somehow. Oh, the same thing. Yeah. Exactly right because you know, there is no way to say that what he did was okay.
2: Also released in what the Ob- uh, Romney campaign hopes is going to be a huge story, Lewis. Obama accidentally stepped on an ant when he was 5 years old. Hmm. Not fit to lead. Now, that not an ant. an ant, an ant, <laughs>
5: an a little six-legged insect.
2: What do you think when you hear this stuff, Nathan? Will something like this resonate with people or will they be able to make the distinction? A 7-year-old kid in Indonesia uh having a bite of dog is very very different than an adult Mitt Romney strapping the dog to the roof. Oh, it might have an effect in the immediate aftermath, but I don't think anyone's going to remember this even like a week from now. (laughs) Or (laughs) tomorrow. We'll see. We will see.
13: Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady. My name is Janine Garofalo. This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. Even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Pallas and I've got my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity. Free at Lee Camp. Net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook. get it at LeadCamp.net or on most e-reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry.
19: This
13: is your Moment of Clarity from LeadCamp.net. Step right up, step right up. Take a look at the greatest, grandest, grotesquest freak show on earth. The fakest, charatiest, fakest, bakediest extravaganza you've ever seen or been intellectually violated by the best presidential election money can buy. Give your funnel lobe a rest and let your medulla oblongata send you into cardiac arrest as your lizard brain dances the lumbata. Isn't that how Wolf Blitzer should start the next presidential debate? You know, I've finally figured it out. All this time, I thought the Republicans just had awful ideas, but that's not it. Their ideas don't come from ignorance. They spring like a fountain from a deep well of revenge. They are getting revenge on people who don't vote for them. If you're a free-thinking woman, then we'll get back at you with forced, intrusive vaginal ultrasounds. Teach you not to vote for us. If you're a gay person, then good luck getting married or seeing your loved one while they're in the hospital. That's for daring to go against us. Poor people? Oh, man. We're really gonna beat your face in. I mean, hire someone to beat your face in, because we don't want to have to touch you. But we're also going to take away your health care and your ability to feed your family. Immigrant we will do our damnest to get you kicked out of the country, or at the very least, not be able to get a job. That's for not voting for us, and for being so immigrant Gross. And black people, we can't even list all the ways we're going to try to screw you. We're coming up with new ones every day. Creative stuff like gerrymandering and drug laws that favor drugs more often done by white people. Non-Christians, we're going to pass laws saying people can yell Jesus in your face in a government building entrance during the Pledge of Allegiance. Hell, we're working on something that would require intrusive penetrative ultrasounds for everyone who doesn't vote for us. Even men. Democrats may be as in bed with Wall Street as we are, and they may love good war as much as we do, but we're all for those things and so much more. We'll you eight ways to Sunday, because we're a octopus. We're the Republican Party.
20: Hi, Jay. This is Ashley from upstate New York. You played my comment from a year ago on the 601 episode. So I was calling back a year later to tell you how I feel. I'm 24 years old, so I was in 8th grade when 9-11 occurred. But I wasn't personally affected. And I think a lot like the caller from Philadelphia who was around my age. Um, I didn't have... An immense emotional connection to 9 11 per se or to bin Laden himself. So last year I said, you know, I thought that it was probably a good thing that he was murdered there on the spot because of the ramifications that could have potentially happened if he was brought back to the United States. And I want to say that. After a year in the political climate that I've seen, I still feel that way. I still feel like with everything that, you know, we've seen the left wing and the right wing fight over over the past year and with the rights that have been betrayed on so many levels, that our political climate couldn't handle it and that's sad it's not the america that i want to see but in the situation my realism overpowers my idealism so that's what i think and on top of the fact that i just really think that if he had been brought in he would have either gone to guantanamo or or what have you and he probably would have been tortured and you know like he's not a great person obviously we all know that but He's still a man, and he's still a human, and nobody should be tortured. And it would have been a kangaroo trial or whatever. It's really sad and unfortunate that I don't think as a country we could deal with the justice system actually holding up to the standards that, that we give it in our heads. Thank you for all that you do. It was a really great show. Uh, it's crazy that it's been a year. Thanks again. Have a great day.
19: Hey Jay, uh, this is Joseph from Small Town, Texas, uh, Alito. Just listened to your show on Osama Bin Laden or the recap of all the calls you got responding to Osama Bin Laden's death. I've been listening to the show for probably about six months. I didn't actually get to to, uh, listen to the originals of all the tapes, but this recap was really helpful because uh, I caught a lot of flack last year from my family and my friends when I was feeling a lot of what most of the people uh, were expressing in the tapes that you showed. For example, I really had hoped that Osama bin Laden would have been captured and tried instead of just murdered outright. When you got to your generational divide piece at the end, uh, it really hit home for me because I work with a lot of Younger people, and also have three younger sisters, two of which are in their uh, early teens. So, uh, one of my sisters was born in '98, and another was born in the year 2000. So, they grew up with our 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 country uh, perpetually at war. That's all they've ever known. And so, it just kind of hit home for me to realize that the reason that some of the disagreements we may have between family and friends uh, has a lot to do with the perspective. That they've grown up with. I, I, for example, am 26 years old, so I lived in a country that, well, it may have been at war all the all the time during my growing up years. It wasn't, at least, uh, as politicized. Whereas for my younger sisters and some of my younger coworkers, it's all they've ever known. So I just wanted to call in and, and say that I agree with you and recognize that difference. And it was eye opening when. The event happened last year when Osama bin Laden was uh, murdered last year. Love the show. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to continuing to listen.
21: This is Amy from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I am calling in response to your podcast about Osama bin Laden. You wanted to hear from some people that were kind of, you know, younger when 9 happened and see how their reactions are. A year later, I was 12 when 9-11 happened. Last year, I was working when I found out that Osama bin Laden had died, and my reaction was, was disbelief. I, I, I didn't think we were ever going to catch him. I thought he was probably kind of dying in his sleep. Something along that sort. I didn't, I never imagined a world in my life without Osama bin Laden being alive, you know. A year later, I'm, I'm fairly apathetic about it. It doesn't seem like the world has changed that much. His death was kind of, you know, finale or whatever to, you know, sort of the feeling I'd had since I was a kid. Uh, You know, you kind of described it really well. He was kind of this boogeyman when I was young, kind of this dark cloud, and it was nice to have that relief, but, you know, a year later, things really haven't changed that much. One of the things that is interesting for me, at least, regarding the modernist death and how 9-11 changed a lot of things for me was 10 days after Bin Laden's death, I got on a plane at JFK to travel to Turkey. It was my first time traveling, and it didn't really occur to me when I was signing my trip or anything. It was a university sanctioned trip, but we were all flying on our own. And I remember sitting out in my seat, getting situated, and all of a sudden it just dropped on me, this realization of, you know, Oh my goodness, I am on a flight at JFK, traveling all the way to Istanbul. And I just had this moment where, you know, and it it, it was 10 days after Osama bin Laden had died, and I had this moment of of fear, or, or anxiety. I would say anxiety more than fear. And, you know, I'm sure this is something that a lot of people have had happen to them, where they just kind of go, flying itself is scary. But then to have that additional anxiety happen, I think a lot of people probably didn't experience that before 9-11 and now they do um, I experience that especially because of when it was fine love the show keep going thank you
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So today is yet another show with a gigantic announcement at the end of it. In the previous show, I talked about how I was going to basically revolutionize all independent media – all in day's work. And today I'm uh, reinventing the absolute DNA of the show sort of in a small way. So so before before you freak out too much, I'll, I'll explain that. Uh, just, just, just a little bit of background. The show, as you know, is known for aggregating and amplifying the best of the truly liberal media. And so what that does, if I do it right, is informs you and pisses you off. And so the way I imagine is you listen to the show, you get really excited, and a lot of the times that anger and energy that is produced by listening to the show goes to waste. It, it just it doesn't get directed anywhere productive. I want to remedy that. And activism 101 is if you're telling someone something, you don't just tell them what's going on, you tell them what's going on and what they can do about it. And that's what I plan to begin doing with the show. So we obviously tell you a lot about what's going on, and now we're going to start giving you activism opportunities to help you engage and, and actually take action towards solving the problems that we talk about. So I've also talked before on the show about how you know my job is is very much about looking backwards. I, I, you know, I, I listen to shows that talk about things that have already happened. I boil everything down. I present it in, in as good of a way as I can. But in doing this, it makes it really difficult to look forwards. I've tried in the past, and just for whatever reason, I can't do it. And so, so the, the way to make this really work and really be successful and not do it in a half-assed way at all is to actually bring on a new person, a second person, to help out with the show. So whereas it's my job to look backwards... Is going to be Lauren's job to look forwards. Uh, Lauren has, has been heard at least once on the show before. Uh, she's been working with the show for over a year now. So uh, for the second time, welcome to the show, Lauren.
18: Hey, what's up?
0: Um, oh, I'm, ju- I'm just making a podcast. <laughs> so, so, so Lauren, you, you've been working with the show for a year. What, what were you doing behind the scenes for the past uh, year or so?
18: Well, I was editing the clips that go into the show to make the show work when folks listen to best of the left it 's a neatly produced package um, that flows and and my job was to make sure the clips were were edited and collected and and as well, I also managed a group of volunteers without whom our, the show would not be possible so so thanks to the volunteers we have uh, we have ample supply of of content that makes the show what it is the best of the left
0: absolutely so um so now looking forward, you know, we're going to do to activism as we've been doing to progressive media for years now. And so, you know, as as it is my job to look backwards and collect all the media, it's going to be your job to look forwards and and know all about all the activism that's happening and you know, what all of it I, I mean i mean that literally
18: <laughs> I, I think i think what i will be doing is spending all my time scouring the interweb making sure that every single activist opportunity will go through me first what, what i what i plan to do and in, in, in all seriousness um as best of the left aggregates and amplifies truly the best liberal media content i i hope to do the same with activism i want to inspire people Folks who who listen to the show want to become engaged and and seek a, a more active role in in their community. So I feel like I will act as a catalyst to to make that happen.
0: Excellent. That is absolutely the whole purpose. I mean, we want to give people a, 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 an outlet for their energy when it comes to uh, to politics and, uh, and 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 do it in a very best of left style. Thanks to Lauren. So uh, so thanks for coming on, Lauren. No problem. This, of course, is just the introduction. In the episodes to come, Lauren will be making regular appearances for the foreseeable future uh, to, to bring you the best of left Activism uh, it is is a whole. I mean, we're we're really opening up the show in a whole new direction, and I'm I'm really excited about it. This is something I've I've had in, in the in the plans for a while now. I'm really excited to have Lauren on the show. I think she's going to add a, a, a great dynamic in a variety of ways, and and we're certainly open to hearing your feedback on how things go. Obviously, we're just working things out in the beginning to see what works and what doesn't, and so let us know from your perspective if you have. Uh, you know, sources you think that we should definitely be tuned into, then l- let us know through the website and, and I will make sure Lauren is, is following all of the best sources to get all the best information. And, uh, uh and folks we'll-
18: can, if folks can also email me directly at lauren at best of the left.com. Absolutely. And I'm going to be interested in hearing from you all.
0: Beautiful. So that is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. And of course, thanks to Lauren uh, for joining me today. Just a quick note on Our Blue Media, which I announced in the previous episode. The, uh, the, the the reaction has been universally positive, which I'm excited about. And the fundraiser is going gangbusters. We raised 30% of our goal of $15,000 within 48 hours of the launch. So we got a long ways to go, but we're off to an off. Awesome start! So huge thanks to everyone who has donated so far. I wish I had more time to talk about it today, but of course we'll be talking about it in, in shows to come. Uh, that fundraiser is going on for a, a full month, and every dollar that we can raise for that goes to make the Our Blue Media project. Even better. And if you didn't hear that or if you want a refresher, just go to OurBlueMedia.com. That'll take you to the fundraising page. You can see all the details there. It's all laid out. And it's going it's to be awesome. It's going to blow everyone's socks off. So that is it for today. Thanks to everyone for supporting the show. Of course, everyone supports the show just by telling everyone you know about it.
21: upon a picture that wasn't right, pitch burning on a shining sheet, the only maker that you want to meet, a dying man in a living room, The shadow bases the floor, will take you out in the open.